Did you know that at the core of your being there is something even more important than the blood pump in your chest? And today on Truth Encounter, Dave Wurtson wants us to learn how to keep this vital part of our being healthy. Dave begins talking about a physical heart disease, but he goes on to talk to us about spiritual heart failure. Dave? A lot of times when people are sick and I go and visit them in the hospital, they look really sick. I mean, they're kind of pallid and if they're running a high fever, you can tell that. But heart disease is one of those things that as long as the person lies on the bed prone, uh, they can talk to you and they sometimes they even have a relatively good, good appetite. The only problem is that if they get up and if they go out and try to mow their lawn, if they try to, you know, even pick up their grandkids, even that is a project and they get shortness of breath and sometimes they get radiating pains going from their chest down to their arms. Sometimes it just feels like a dull ache, kind of like a slow-burning heartburn and it develops into a cardiac problem and they have to go in and we even these days, I remember when I first started in the pastorate, the first heart surgery that I went through with a family was just a big event. It was a big event for the hospital. It was a big event for us. And, and now they almost do it almost as a routine. Now, I know that it isn't a routine. And I know for certain that it isn't routine because we lost one of our family uh, after the third heart surgery. So it's far from routine. And yet the unbelievable skills that the doctors have developed in being able to take arteries from our leg and putting up, you know, patching up kind of our tremendous plumbing I kind of think of them sometimes as some of the most skilled plumbers in the world as they take these arteries at different parts of the body and shuffle things around a little bit and sometimes give us many, many more years of good living. And we can thank God for that. I think every one of you is concerned about your heart. In fact, our heart is one of those things when you're young, you don't think about it at all. Uh, most of you, when you were little kids, hardly thought anything at all about the ticker that's inside of you. How many of you that are over 35 have thought about your heart at least once during this past week? Now, how many of you kids thought a lot about your heart? Maybe we got some, we got a few. You see, you don't think about your heart much when you're young, but as you grow older, you start to take it pretty seriously. Because if that ticker stops ticking, just like that, we stop living and so as we grow into our, you know, 35 and on, we start eating low cholesterol foods. We go through about 100 pairs of Adidas, either walking or running, and we go for checkups. We're really concerned about our heart. Proverbs chapter 4 is not going to tell you how to have a healthy heart. You're going to have to go to some clinic in Dallas to learn how to have a healthy heart or read a good book on it. But Proverbs chapter 4 talks about a much more important heart that you have. You see, in the book of Proverbs, it uses the word heart to stand for the, the center of your personality. The unseen part of you, inside uh, every single one of you, there's an inner heart. You can't see it. You can't measure it. If we take your weight one second after your heart departs, when you die, there won't be any difference in weight. Scientifically, we can't really grab a hold of it and say, this is it. But every single one of you have this reality called your personality that's composed of your intellect, your emotion, and your will. And this Hebrew word heart, contrary to English, where we use the word heart for our emotion. You know, my heart just started pounding. What I mean is I was starting to become very emotional. 
where a lot of times when a young teenager says, oh, I just love you with all my heart. I've been away a week at camp with you, and I've never met someone like you before, and I'm going to write you from till death do its part. And they say, I love you with all our heart, and they cry halfway back on the bus. We use the English word heart to stand for the emotion. Sometimes it develops into something more, but usually we're using the word heart for emotion. Not so the Hebrews. The Hebrews, like I've mentioned to you before, used another part of our anatomy, uh, the kidneys for the emotion. And we, they used the word heart to stand for the core of our inner personality. Now, like your physical heart, when you're young, you don't think a lot about that inner core of your personality. In fact, a lot of you as teenagers just kind of blow and go. You don't give much thought at all. Uh, you'll be developing in your self-understanding and the development of that self-understanding takes place until we go home to be with the Lord. But as we grow older, many times we realize that we did a lot of unhealthy things with our heart, with our inner personality. We allowed false affections to come in and to control it and to dominate it. In fact, sometimes because we ignore this inner part of our personality, we can get ourselves involved in some very serious problems. And what the wise father and mother in Proverbs is trying to do is to appeal to their young people as they grow to be concerned about their heart. I want every one of you to realize that this inner core, your personality, is the most precious possession that you have. It's going to dwell somewhere for all of eternity. It's what gives meaning to life. If you lose your spirit, if you lose your vitality, if you start becoming unbelievably depressed, life loses all of its meaning. This core of our personality, according to Proverbs 4, is the very wellspring of our heart. And so as we open up to Proverbs 4, the writer it tells us this, above all things, guard your heart. Above all things, guard your heart. Verse 23, which would be kind of the theme verse of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, above everything else that you do, guard the inner core of your personality. Why? Because this is the fountainhead. This is the spring this is from which the meaning of life bubbles forth. So we want to talk about how to keep your heart healthy. Now the writer begins in verses 1 through 9 by talking about focusing some right values. It says that all of us need to put the right price tag on things. And one of the problems that we have when we're young is that it's easy to put the wrong price tag on things. And so in verses 1 through 9, the father challenges his children about values. What is more valuable than something else? Then in verses 10 through verse 19, the writer challenges the young people based upon values to choose the right path, to make the right choice about which journey they're going to make in life. Every one of you are making a certain journey in your life. You've chosen to go down a certain pathway. You've chosen to take a certain direction in your life. And in that central exhortation, the father challenges his children to make the right choice about the path in life. Then he finishes in verses 20 through 27, right to the end of the chapter, and talks about different parts of our anatomy. He talks about our eyes. He talks about our feet. He talks about our heart. He talks about keeping our heart 
healthy by doing the right thing with our eyes and with our feet specifically. Let's look first of all at this beginning part, putting the right price tag on things. And the first thing that I want to underscore in your thinking is this. It's intimacy with mom and dad. How many of you as parents have ever said, I can't get these kids to listen. I cannot get these kids to pay attention. You've all heard it said, you know, kids just don't listen these days. That's not true. That is not true. And saying that is not going to help. The wise father and mother in Proverbs start out by laying out a very strategic principle if any of us want anybody, including our kids, to listen to us. Let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 4. Listen, my children, or listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. I want you to pay attention. I want you to gain the ability to make wise choices in life. And the words are used in verse 1, the same words we had way back in chapter 1 of Proverbs, where it said that the purpose of the book was to help us to gain skillful living and the ability to make wise value decisions in life. Verse 2, now I give you healthy teaching, healthy doctrine. Don't forsake my teaching. Once again, I've stressed it to you all the way through the book of Proverbs, but I want you to see it again. This father is confident. This father has bought in to a tradition. Now, this is not just blind tradition. It's not just going through rituals. This father instead is communicating directions in life that God has revealed down through the centuries, wise, practical, expedient ways that you need to live. And the Father is not like in the modern world. So many times in the modern world, we have the idea there isn't any right, there isn't any wrong, everything's kind of gray, you're just going to have to muddle through the best you can. Now, I want to challenge you. The book of Proverbs does make things very clear. This is right, this is wrong. This is what happens to the righteous, this is what happens to the wicked. And there is more ambiguity in life than that, which is what the book of Job deals with. It deals with a problem of what happens when a righteous man is having a lot of bad things happen in their life. And the book of Ecclesiastes is, is filled with ambiguity. And it talks about all different twists and turns in life. But neither Job or Ecclesiastes denies the normative general pattern that Proverbs is telling you. And the truth of the matter is, is that there are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong. There are choices in life that will destroy you, that will hurt you. It makes a difference if you get hung up on heroin, if you get involved being a prostitute in the streets of Dallas, just to talk about some really extreme things, which are some of the things Proverbs talks about. If you join up with a gang of hoodlums, and they're robbing 7-Eleven stores, there's a good chance, a normative principle in life, you won't live very long you'll probably get blown away by a magnum somewhere, sometime. And that's the way Proverbs is communicating. And Proverbs has an uncanny characteristic because the tendency as you hear it is to say, oh, I already know all that. It's one of the most normative things because Proverbs is so clear, it's so practical, and it appeals to the central core of our being where God has written on our heart in our conscience that a lot of these things are true, that we almost take it for granted. 
Because the Proverbs is constantly giving us the impression, well, I remember that. I know that. And that's true. But the problem is that you've got to ingrain it inside. The problem is that we know a lot of this stuff, but we don't apply it Monday morning. And that's why this father is very wise. He knows you need to keep coming after the kids. You need to keep talking. And you need to be confident. And I want to underscore again, dads, because you hold the essential key to your children's moral and spiritual development. You need to be confident. You need to nail down whether you're going to follow Christ with all your heart. Following Christ with all your heart is not just the preacher's thing. Jesus is the only one that can lead you into a meaningful life. And Daddy, if you're back and forth, if you're committed to Christ one day, not committed the next. You're really involved with God's people one day, not really involved the next. You might be going through a little quest to find yourself, but I want to challenge you, you're going to lose your kids in the process. And that hurts me very, very much. Because the atmosphere of your home, which you set as a dad, mom doesn't set it. She's involved in it, but you as a dad set it. And if you're up and down, up and down, you're not really committed about this biblical stuff. You're really not committed to Jesus. I'm not asking you to be committed to me at all. I'm not asking you to be committed to church even. It's something much deeper than that. It's a commitment to the ultimate wisdom who is Jesus. And you're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your kids if you haven't really nailed down your value system. So I would challenge every dad, every minute, get alone somewhere and decide which path you're going to go down. And start to be faithful to it. Start to, to, to really communicate solid, skillful tradition. Because the father and mother in Proverbs were able to do that. This daddy had nailed things down. He could say to his son, son, I can teach you how to live. I know how to live. I've gained a lot of experience. I've tested the principles of God's word, and I have not found them wanting. They have met some of the deepest needs of my heart. And son, that's why I want you to follow what I'm saying. Now, all of that can be just preaching. Like everything I've said can go in one ear and out the other if you don't have what the Father talks about next in verses 1 through 3. Look what he says in verse 3. When I was a boy, now the Father's reminiscing. He's talking about his childhood. All of us do this from time to time. We get our kids, and especially if you have slides or something, you get the slides out and you start talking about things that happened when you were a kid. The Father's doing that. When I was a boy, when I was a little boy in my father's house, and I don't like that translation. The NIV kind of does it with a circumstantial clause. I'd rather say this. The literal translation of this verse goes like this. I was a boy. I was a son to my father. And the reason the NIV translated it when I was a boy in my father's house is it sounds like a, a, a kind of a, you know, just a simplistic tautology to say, I was a son to my father. What else would I be to my father unless I was a girl? And I'd be, I was a daughter. To my father. But that's not what the writer is underscoring. The father is saying, when I was a little boy, I was a son. I was everything that a son ought to be with my dad. My dad, in other words, to put it another way, the father is saying, I had the unbelievable privilege of having a dad who was really a dad. 
Do you ever stop and think about that? You know, some of you can't say that. Some of you, I know you well. Some of you would have to say, Dave, my dad wasn't a dad to me. My dad was always working. He never came home. Some of you have had the, you know, real difficult problem of your dad had another Lord in his life called the bottle. And he was drunk a lot of times. Some of you sons, when you were just little boys, had to kind of protect your dad. Like a friend of mine that had to slug his dad because his dad was going to really hurt his mom one night. Some of you have had that terrible kind of a situation. And know how we can thank God that through the power of Christ that we can start a completely different tradition. Isn't that marvelous? That any one of us can stop a bad tradition and can make some decisions and by the power of Christ can start a whole new family heritage. My dad didn't have a dad who was really a dad to him. My dad grew up in an unbelieving family. The mother, his mom, was a real big, powerful woman who ruled the roost. My grandfather was kind of a little wimp that said, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. And my dad, growing up in the streets of New York, had to get away from home very early and earn his own way. And he really started working and earning his own living when he was about 13. So my dad could never say, I was a son to my dad. My dad didn't have that privilege, but I can say that. And what a marvelous thing it is. Christ came into my dad's life. And so I can remember. And I want you to get what I'm saying, dads, because this is what sons remember. My dad, I went to my dad, hear my dad speak in the Singer Bowl with 25,000, 30,000 people there. I remember that because it rained. My dad spoke too long. All the audience could see the rain coming. My dad couldn't see it coming. He spoke like I do about 20, 25 minutes overtime. And it rained on the whole caboodling mess. And I had a madras sport coat on. And it dribbled all over everything. I don't remember a word my dad said that day. I heard my dad speak in Madison Square Garden where they had more people outside. I don't remember anything about that. Nothing at all. I remember going to my dad's broadcast on Saturday night, 7.30, every Saturday night. What I remember about that is what I related to you. My legs used to get incredibly weird feeling. Anybody, anybody have that trouble? You know, man, the chills would go up and down my legs and they'd be antsy and I'd have to move and I'd just be killing me. So my mother would get up and we'd walk up and down Broadway. And I've told you how my mother taught me the realities of life by the marquees on Broadway. That's what I remember about my dad's Saturday night rally. But you know what I really remember about my dad growing up? Every single afternoon in the summertime, five days a week, Monday through Friday, he would put everything down in his office. And for an hour, he and I would get in a canoe and we'd paddle around Word of Life Island. I remember that. And now that I'm a pastor and an adult myself, I really know how much that cost for him to put the pen down and to stop all the calls from his secretary and go out with his little boy and go paddling. But because of that, I can say I was a son to my dad. How about your sons? What are your sons going to say about you? That's a real challenge for me because I'm, I'm a workaholic. My dad was a workaholic too. The hardest thing for me to do is just stop working. And I can have time for relationship with everything else, but my sons have to loudly remind me, hey, I'm here. And oh, how it's important to spend those time. You know, what are your sons going to remember? They're going to remember the day that you took just to hike up a mountain. Even though it was killing, they'll remember that day. 
They'll remember the day you taught them to ski. They'll remember the day you camped out with them. They might not remember a lot of what you teach them Sunday morning or what you try to tell them when they're now 18 years old and they're going away to college the next day and you try to pour it in. They're not going to remember a whole lot about that. But they're going to remember whether or not they were a son to their dad. And I want to challenge you. You communicate information. We all have the idea that you communicate information at the appointed time when dad wants to do it, when the dad's really exercised about it. All the dads in this audience know that's not the way it works. Communication flows out of intimacy. If someone knows that they're loved, if someone knows in reality because of the experiences of life that dad really cares about me, their ears will not be deaf. It'll appear that they're deaf. It'll appear that the teenager is not listening. But if there's love, if there's love, if children can still say, I was a son, I was a daughter to my dad, there will be communication. And they will not ultimately want to turn away from your values because those values will be the center of their life because they'll say, men alive, mom and dad held their life together with these values. And I like what mom and dad had. I like the consistency that was there. I like the love that was there. Sure, there were problems. Everyone has problems. But there was a reality there. And I want that. And I can share with you from the bottom of my heart, I grew up like that, so it can be done. My mom and dad made a lot of mistakes. My mom had a nervous breakdown. My dad traveled all the time. And I try to be very honest with you. Evangelicals need to be honest. But I can say with you from the bottom of my heart that the Spirit of God enabled mom and dad to enable me as a son to say, you were a father to me. And you were a mother to me. Because the next part of the verse says, tender and only in the sight of mom. By the way, this might not be an only child. Probably wasn't an only child. Because this word tender and only is used of Isaac, for example, in Genesis. And Isaac wasn't Abraham's only child. He had Ishmael, and he ended up having several other children. But it means that special place in the heart. And every one of our kids need to know that they're that only child at one time or another. You see, they need that individual time. And this wise father and mother who's engaged in this unbelievably difficult task of communicating values to the next generation realizes that the way that you communicate values is not by preaching at people, not by giving formal lectures all the time, but in the home life, it's done by intimacy. It's done by relationship. It's done by time together. So I want all of us to take stock today. Some of you need to be really encouraged in this because you've taught me a lot about this. Some of you really spend the individual time needed to develop relationship. A question I ask myself a lot. If my kids weren't related to me, would they consider me a close personal friend? Now, I'm a dad, so there's another whole authority structure there. But I ask myself a lot of times, if my kids or my wife were not related to me at all, would they consider me a friendly person? You say, why do you ask that? Because we tend to deal with strangers a lot more closely at times, with a lot more courtesy than we do with our own family. You see, it's so easy for us to turn off the intimacy factors, eye contact, 
listening with big ears, putting down what we're doing when someone talks to us, going out to eat individually. Think about the friendships that you have. In fact, friendship is a hard thing for us to negotiate. But one thing about friendship, if you never spend any time with a friend, they're not really that close anymore. You'll still call yourself friends, but you'll have to get back to spending time together in order to get close again. And by the way, as we grow older, the intimacy factors become less and less because we get more and more involved in making life run, in doing the mechanics of material things. And your job is challenging you just like my job is challenging me. And all the responsibilities of life, everybody's hanging their coat on you. And what I'm just telling you, we need to be careful that in the midst of all this rush, we don't let our family go by. Because every one of you that has grown kids will turn around and say, where did it all go? You see, my family's real interesting because it's like two levels. So it's like I go back and forth and, 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 you, and you can look at this. I remember, and all of you, a lot of you that are adults would go, Shh, boy, I remember when Jonathan was born. Well, he wasn't just born yesterday. And it's too quick, it's too fast to let the time go by. And that's what this wise father is doing. In an unbelievable, skillful move in life, this dad didn't let the childhood years disappear without developing relationship. This is Dave Wurtson, and as I've been speaking to you today, I couldn't help but be reminded of the need for Mary and myself to continue to maintain these intimacy factors. It's so easy to remember to listen and to remember to spend time with and remember to give of yourself to sometimes even perfect strangers and to be courteous and polite and to really be willing to share yourself. And yet, when we're with our own loved ones, with our own family, so many times underneath the roof of our house, those things can disappear. And what I've been trying to get across to you is one of the things that turns kids against God more than anything else is for their parents to have a public image when they're with their church friends, quote, quote. And yet they have a private image that is totally the opposite. And it can be filled with anger. It can be filled with bitterness. It can be filled with just plain ignoring the person. Indifference, we might say, would be a good word. And, oh, I pray the Lord will use today's message about how we need to guard our hearts and we need to guard the internal relationships that we have with our family to protect your children.